Hi, I'm Kate Boyle, and welcome to the Mind Movement Health Podcast. Each week, I'll be bringing you health information from diet and lifestyle to movement and nutrition. My aim is to bring you bite-sized pieces of information that you can instigate into your everyday life to change your health. Hi everyone, I'm Kate Boyle and welcome back to the Mind Movement Health Podcast. This week on the show, we're chatting about the best anti-inflammatory practices. So what is inflammation and why is it so important? Well, inflammation or swelling is a part of the body's natural healing system and it helps us fight injury and infections. Now, when this happens in response to an injury or an illness, then that's fantastic. That's what we want. It's our body's defense system coming to overcome the illness or the disease, you know, help make us stronger, use our immunity. But when this inflammation occurs in the body on a regular basis and there's nothing to fight or to heal from, then this is when our immune cells that normally protect us start to attack its own cells, which affect our joints, our arteries, our organs and systems and causes chronic inflammation. Now, when this is happening, it can be really damaging to our body over the long term and cause us to develop an autoimmune disease. So how do we know why, when our body is in inflammation, what are the signs? Well, it can turn up in various different ways. You may experience things like joint pain, feeling tired, poor sleep, uh, lack of energy or lethargy. You might find that you start gaining weight or you have an ability that you can't lose weight. You also might find you start to have flare-ups. And what I mean by that is you might have gallbladder pain or you get kidney stones or you might have a divert, you might be diagnosed with diverticulitis or have a gut dysbiosis. So it can contribute to chronic disease. And as it builds up over time, then that's when we start to see these smaller issues, you know, having brain fog or Gaining a bit of weight might not seem like a big deal, but when they compound over time, this is when it leads down to other illnesses, more severe illnesses, and you may be diagnosed with things like diabetes, obesity, heart disease, Alzheimer's and dementia. So you can see why managing inflammation levels in our body is really important because it helps prevent these lifestyle diseases that often occur when our body has been experiencing inflammation over a long period of time. So how do we test our inflammation levels? Well, the most common way you can measure inflammation is to conduct a blood test for your C-reactive protein, which is HSCRP which is a marker of inflammation. Now, doctors can also measure homocysteine levels to evaluate chronic inflammation. And then also some physicians can test for HbA1c. And this is a measurement of your blood sugar to assess damage to red blood cells. So if you're unsure or you'd like to know what your inflammation levels are, go to your doctor, speak to your doctor and see if there's a relevant test that they suggest that you can check out your inflammation levels. But prior to doing that, you know in your body how you're feeling. You know whether or not you you know, can't shift that weight. Maybe you're experiencing brain fog. Maybe you feel tired. Maybe you've had unexplained. It could be abdominal pain. Maybe, you know, you've been constipated for a while or you have had a recent blood test and you were flagged that you're 
blood sugar levels were starting to get a little bit high or maybe even your cholesterol. So these are all signs that there's inflammation in our body and we can feel them first and foremost. We don't necessarily need to get these tests done. So also, you know, pay attention to your body, take some time out, even if it's just a couple of seconds each day. You guys know I'm a really big fan of doing a bit of a body scan, checking in, seeing, you know, how my joints are feeling, how my muscles are feeling, you know, how my digestion, you know, am I clear thinking, just going through each section of your body and doing a bit of a check-in and then addressing it. Do you feel like you need to move more today? Do you need to drink more water? Do you need to really dial in your diet? Whatever it may be, then you can start to make these changes. Now, when we're trying to minimize inflammation and live our healthiest and happiest lives, this is when uh, these anti-inflammatory practices come in and they don't need to be hard or confusing or time consuming. It's going back to the basics and this will help to lower your inflammation levels and help give you back that energy, reduce your joint pain, help you maintain a healthy weight, you know, all of these things that we want for a happy life. So where do we start? Well, one of the things and one of the sort of lowest hanging fruits, I like to say, that we can start to do to lower our inflammation levels is to cut out processed foods. So processed foods tend to have chemicals, additives, preservatives, and then they have these other lovely things like seed oils and sugar, which are all pro-inflammatory and contribute to not only digestive issues like you know, excess gas and bloating and stomach upsets and gut dysbiosis and constipation. But also when the gut bacteria is out of balance and the bad gut bacteria start to flourish, this is when we get gut dysbiosis and we get all these symptoms happening. And then this can further translate to our blood sugar levels not being able to be managed as well and contribute to further disease. So we want to try to eliminate processed foods where possible and aim for foods that have little or no packaging or no list of ingredients. So we know when we pick up an apple or a piece of broccoli, there's no list of ingredients because it's a whole food. So where possible, stick to a whole food diet, go back to our fruits and veggies and nuts and grains and seeds and meat and fish, you know, and some dairy if you can tolerate dairy. But sticking to those whole foods as our basis of our diet, you guys know I'm a huge fan of that 80-20 rule, will really Really keep us in great health. Now, also, we want to avoid those processed foods that have artificial sweeteners, trans fats, chemicals disruptors, or high sugar content. Again, because these are all pro-inflammatory and cause inflammation in the body, leading to those symptoms we've just been talking about. So eliminate them, you know, put those packets back on the shelf. And sometimes I think we always just think these processed foods are cakes and biscuits and chips, but it can be processed foods can be, you know, crumbed fish in the frozen veggie section or, um, you know, oven fries. These are still processed foods, even if you don't think they're as bad, you know, they're not so sort of sweet or savory high fat, but they're still processed. So again, when you can, going back to those whole foods and something that I really love to do is if I don't want to be eating these foods, I just don't buy them. So don't have them in the freezer, don't have them in the cupboard if you don't need them and just stick to the whole foods where you can. 
Now, the next thing to think about when it comes to sugar is making sure that you steer clear of those sugary beverages. Again, things like soft drinks and energy drinks, even juices, and tea and coffee where we're adding sugar. Somebody, a client was telling me the other day that they had a friend that used to add five teaspoons of sugar to their coffee. So they were really having coffee with their sugar rather than sugar with their coffee. And so the health benefits that you can get from coffee, when you add that much sugar, you're eliminating those health benefits. So try to start cutting back. If you know that you're somebody that needs to have a teaspoon of you know, sugar in your coffee, Try cutting back to a half a teaspoon and then a quarter teaspoon and then gradually you will be able to eliminate it. It's not going to happen straight away, but it's definitely something really simple that we can start doing to help lower that sugar content and that pro-inflammatory response that sugar has on the body. The other thing I like to think about with diet is if we are cutting out processed foods, people are like, well, I'm not really sure what I should be eating then. You know, this is going to get tricky, but you know, just stick to those whole foods. If we can eat more fiber and we get fiber, you know, from our fruits and veggies and nuts and seeds and grains, then we're going to be consuming a lot more antioxidants, which are, you know, anti-inflammatory for our health, a lot more nutrients. And we want to try to aim for having 30 different plant-based foods in a week. So 30 different plant-based foods. And again, that can include fruits and veggies, nuts and seeds, beans, legumes, and herbs and spices. So if you're adding basil and rosemary to your cooking, they still count as one of those 30 different plant-based foods in the week. So see if you can set your goal this week just to see if you can include 30 different plant-based foods and then see how you feel by the end of the week. You know, do you have more energy? Have you been sleeping better? You know, tune into those small things because over time they do build up. Now, some fantastic herbs and spices can also help reduce inflammation. So things like curcumin, otherwise known as turmeric, ginger and garlic, cardamom, rosemary, and even cinnamon. These herbs and spices have high levels of polyphenols, which are packed with antioxidants and have a range of benefits from reducing cancer to helping to manage blood pressure, reduce risk of heart disease and diabetes, and so much more. So even just starting to cook with some more herbs and spices can be really anti-inflammatory. And really, who doesn't like cinnamon? you know, super simple to add in, or if you're not adding that in for something sweet, then just going back to your ginger and your garlic, just these basic, you know, onion type foods that have really protective benefits. Now, moving on from food, we want to look at our stress levels. So, Chronic low-grade stress is a really big issue. And when we're talking about chronic low-grade stress, what we're referring to is all those little bits of stress that build up over time. You know, you're running late in the morning, you get stuck in a traffic jam, you're having a fight with one of your kids, you get to work, your emails, you've got, you know, you sit at your desk and you've got 100 emails you've already got to go through. Then you've got alerts, you know, dinging throughout the day. You've got people asking for your attention all the time. So all All these tiny little bits of stress that cause our cortisol levels to spike, you know, and play havoc on our blood sugar levels. Over time, these can really burn out our body, burn out our adrenals and lead to things like chronic fatigue or illness, chronic illness, you know, and ongoing diseases. So what can we do? We want to try to manage our stress. So listening to, um, 
a couple of weeks ago, I did a podcast on stress resilience. So building stress resilience, that is a fantastic podcast to go back and listen to, to think about your stress levels and how to manage your stress. And we'll link that up in the podcast show notes for you. But, you know, think about how can you lower your stress and just simple things. Can you build some time out in your day? Can you move your body? Can you nourish your body really well? Can you make sure you're getting a really good night's sleep? Get some morning sunlight to help with your circadian rhythms. Um, You know, do things like Pilates and meditation and breath work, you know, whatever floats your boat and helps you feel calmer, you know, more relaxed and happier, then start to add more of these activities activities into your day. Even if it's just little five minutes breaks where you can sit down, you know, maybe you love reading and you can just read your book for five minutes. doesn't have to feel overwhelming or big chunks of time. We'd all love to have massages and facials, you know, every day, but it's not possible and it's not necessary. We just need to have a better balance of looking after ourselves and adding it in throughout the day. I'm interrupting this podcast to let you know about the Empowered Self Summit that will run from October 9 to 11. It's hosted via a private podcast feed to take your learning and listening on the go. Now, this is a free three-day event that will help you take small, sustainable steps towards a healthier, happier, and more empowered self. And I'm so excited to be one of the guest presenters in the summit. So for all the details and to sign up for this amazing event, head on over to the podcast show notes and join me and so many other amazing guest speakers for this great event. Now, again, we want to think when it comes to lowering inflammation, and we've just talked about stress, other things that can cause stress in our body are chemicals. And these may come from food, as we've just spoken about, but they also may be coming from your household or your body products or even your makeup or hair care. So look at the products that you're putting on your skin on your hair and in your body and clean your house because all of the chemicals can add up and also be chemical disruptors, which means they interrupt our hormone production. Especially for women, they can play havoc on our estrogen levels. And if our estrogen levels are high and our progesterone levels are low, or even if our estrogen levels are normal and our progesterone levels are really low, we can start to see the effects of estrogen dominance. Now, that tends to come through as breast tenderness, irritability, you know, those PMS symptoms or even those menopause symptoms like night sweats, you know, that pop up that are really uncomfortable to experience. But we are just like, oh, well, that's just part of, you know, having a period or starting to go through perimenopause or menopause. But actually, a lot of it can come down to the chemicals in our life because they disrupt our hormones. So if we can, again, Go through your products, make sure that they're chemical free. When it comes to skincare stuff and hair care stuff, we want to really make sure that they're paraben free and fragrance free. They're the top two that we want to be looking to eliminate and a really easy place to start because there's so many products on the market now that are fragrance free and paraben free. 
Then from there, you know, we can start to look at the household. What are you cleaning your house with? You know, what are you cooking with? Have you got stainless steel and ceramic pans? Or, you know, do your pans, are they Teflon, which have chemicals in them? And if you're cooking your food in them all the time, you can see how that adds up. So making just small, simple swaps. And I've been speaking to one of my clients recently because she started with her body products and she said, you know, it can be really expensive to swap products out. So she's just doing it one at a time and she went to an expo recently um, and they had ceramic pans, you know, and she'd been reading up on the benefits of swapping her cookware out. And so she said, you know, we decided to invest. She's been speaking to her husband, bringing him on board this journey. And then they, you know, invested in pans. So always look at making these swaps as an investment. Use up what you have, okay, and then when you can afford it, make these just small swaps, okay. Sometimes they're going to be bigger like the pans, but know that they are going to last a long time. So it really is an investment in your health. All right, how else can we reduce inflammation? Well, we can start prioritizing our sleep. So sleep is always underrated. We think that we don't need as much, but more so we may think, oh, well, I sleep for eight hours. So, you know, I'm getting enough sleep. But what really matters is the quality of the sleep, not so much the quantity. So some people can sleep six hours as long as they're getting that really good quality sleep where they're getting into that deep sleep and that REM sleep. But if you're having eight to nine hours where you're tossing and turning, you're not going to wake up as refreshed. So focusing on getting that deep sleep how do we do that? Well, I was speaking to a client the other day and she was saying that she'd, you know, the last few nights she'd had a few events on in the evening. So she'd had to have dinner early. And I sort of said, oh, well, what time was early? You know, everybody has a different time for early. And she said, you know, 5.30, 6 o'clock. And she said, those nights, she said, I slept so well. She said, my sleep scores were amazing because she'd been tracking her sleep. She had much deeper, a much longer length of time in that deep sleep and she couldn't believe the effects. And I said, well, what time do you usually eat dinner? And she said, oh, usually like 7.30, 8 p.m. And I said, well, why don't you look at drawing back, you know, your dinner time? Because we're generally recommending that you want to stop eating three to four hours before you go to bed. So if you're going to bed at around that nine or 10 o'clock at night, you really do want to be having your last meal at 6 p.m. And I know this isn't always possible depending on, you know, our work and lifestyle and kids and things. But when we can, if we can look at having that earlier dinner, it really is going to improve our sleep and our quality of sleep. We can also look at adding in that regular sleep-wake cycle in the sense of going to bed at that regular time, waking up that regular time. That will also help. And then exposing our eyes to that morning sunlight within half an hour of getting up, getting a good 10 minutes of sunlight. And if there isn't sunlight, you know, it's just an overcast or a rainy day, getting 20 minutes of that light into our eyes to, again, help reset that melatonin reduction earlier in the day and our circadian rhythm. So really looking at just making a few changes to the time that you're eating, you know, and how much you eat. So don't have a massive big meal in the evening. Try to have, you know, a medium sized meal so you feel full, but not over full. Um, and if, you know, you do feel a little bit over full, get some movement in after that meal and that will help with your digestion and then ultimately your sleep as well. 
Okay, exercise. Now, we can't talk about reducing inflammation without talking about exercise. Exercise helps us reduce stress, manage our weight and blood sugar levels. It helps improve mood uh, and also our neuroplasticity and our memory. So including exercise is essential for helping to reduce inflammation levels. Now, our white adipose tissue which is otherwise known as WAT, W-A-T, is a major source of obesity or inactivity-related inflammation. So in turn, inflammation leads to insulin resistance and metabolic dysfunction. So inactivity, even in the absence of weight gain, so you cannot be overweight but still be inactive, disrupts WAT metabolism while exercise mitigates what inflammation. So if we, in other words, this means that if we can move our bodies and exercise, then we're going to reduce our white adipose tissue, which therefore reduces inflammation in the body. So really, you know, moving our body and exercising is crucial for our overall health, reducing our adipose tissue and our chances of inflammation. So don't forget exercise, you know, whatever you do. And on top of that, we need to be, you know, moving our bodies and adding in things like weight training so that we can increase our muscle mass, our metabolism and reduce our risk of falls. So in Australia, falls are the leading cause of injury, hospitalization and death. They represent 43% of injury hospitalizations and 42% of injury deaths. That is huge, you know, just from falling over. Now, falls requiring hospitalizations occur more frequently in adults with increasing age, as we know, and are most likely to occur in the home. So generally, if you have a loved one, the older they are, the more at risk they are for a fall, and generally it happens at home. Now, you may be thinking, oh, I'm only in my 30s or my 40s or my 50s, so that's not going to happen to me. But the foundations and the habits that we do now are, you know, laying down the bone and the muscle mass that we're going to have in our older age. So if we're not exercising and building muscle mass and bone mass now in our 30s and 40s, then how do we expect our bodies not to have a fall when we hit our 50s and 60s and beyond? So, you know, adding in weight training, whether or not it's resistance bands and springs, you know, in Pilates and hand weights, or it's going to the gym and doing a weight workout, but adding in resistance training is super crucial. However you want to do it, and I definitely recommend that you're doing it a minimum of twice a week, optimally three times a week. And then on top of that, we want to mix it up and add in some cardio. So we know our cardio is so protective of our heart health, okay? You know, whether or not it's just getting out for a nice brisk walk, it doesn't have to again be, you know, training for a marathon or cycling up massive hills. Just getting that heart rate elevated, whether or not you want to walk or swim or cycle find that activity that you really enjoy because it makes a huge difference for our inflammation levels. Okay, moving on to the vagus nerve and stimulating the vagus nerve. Now, the vagus nerve has been in the news a fair bit in the last few years. It's kind of become this in thing, but what the vagus nerve is, it's the longest of our 12 cranial nerves and it controls our heart rate, our respiratory rate, our digestion, immunity, 
And it is obviously so important because it controls all that. But we can actually stimulate our vagus nerve. And again, that helps reduce inflammation in our body and promote overall health. So how do we stimulate our vagus nerve? Well, we can do things like singing and humming, which I don't know about you, but once, you know, learning this knowledge a few years ago, I noticed how much my family sing and, you know, hum and, you know, it's really funny because kids do it. My husband does it when he's brushing his teeth. He's often humming. So listen to your own family and see if they're just doing it naturally. Um, Touch like massage and hugging also stimulates our vagus nerve breath work. So, you know, just doing a few minutes each day of, you know, nice slow breathing in and out through the nose, really trying to extend that exhale if possible and cold exposure. So whether or not you can have a cold shower or, you know, the in thing is to do a cold plunge, you've probably seen that online, but cold exposure is a great way to stimulate the vagus nerve as well. And that could just be as simple as putting your, um, so our biggest area to get exposure to our vagus nerve is our face. So even if we can just put our face underneath the shower and cold water or fill up a, you know, um, big bowl with water, cold water and submerge our face, you know, obviously making sure that we're breathing and doing it simple, sensibly, but getting this a cold exposure is fantastic for stimulating our vagus nerve too. So a few things you can add in there. And then finally, you know, the last point I want to talk on sort of talk about with reducing inflammation is connecting with people and cultivating joy. I think that's one thing with our changing technology and how, you know, technology is so easy to use now. You know, we can text people and we can write emails rather than having to go to see them in person or talk to them on the phone. We really do rely on these forms of communication, but they lack that, you know, connection with people. So if we can make sure that we're reaching out, catching up with friends in person, ringing people on the phone, hug, kiss, dance, sing, talk, you know, really focus on building that community with your family and your friends, then having these connections are really beneficial for helping to reduce inflammation levels and our risk of depression, anxiety, Alzheimer's and dementia also. So, you know, don't ever understand underestimate that power of touch and connection because it really is a huge part of our mental health and our overall health. And, you know, it may just be the missing link. You know, you might have your sleep and your diet and your exercise all dialed in, but, you know, working on your community and can just be just as rewarding. All right. Well, that's it for this week on the podcast. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope it gives you some, you know, information and ideas to help reduce inflammation in your body. Otherwise, have a fantastic week and I'll see you again next week on the Mind Movement Health Podcast. Thanks for listening into the podcast. Please hit subscribe to be updated for each time we release a new podcast.